I, I, I remember seeing the memo and just being Florn. Florn? <laughs> Floored was what Florn. I was trying to say. Uh, I don't know what I combined Whoa, it with. What did I, that f- was worse than a Kareem English mix-up. You make mix Kareem's up English mix-up for the episode on your own. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. Uh, I'm Brent Philbin, and I am here with the Crypto Basic team. We've got Michael Lockie. Uh, if you, yeah, we do. He's, he's doing an arm thing for those that are only listening. And we have Kareem Baruke. Hi. He was doing a great Sean Connery impression before he got in the air, so hopefully we hear that yes. a little bit later. Today, we've got a roundtable episode. We're talking roundtable today. Roundtable episodes are usually crypto-related. Sometimes they're not, but it's mostly us sitting around bullshitting about a project or a concept or something that we like, but not necessarily uh, have done the super deep dives. This is just a lot of off-the-cuff talking. Sometimes we'll have guests on these. Sometimes we won't. Today, it's just us. The crypto basic boys. So today we're me, myself, and I. <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about why is crypto going down. We we're trying to figure out what to do for this episode, and I was checking out like what people were searching. What was the kind of like the Google trends involving cryptocurrency, and why crypto is going down is what the public wants to know. Now I want to caveat this: we do not actually know. Nobody knows. Anybody who tells you that they know why the cryptocurrency market is going down is wrong. There are a lot of factors. There are way more factors than we can possibly go over. I believe the best way that I would phrase this, there's probably a million reasons, like legit million reasons. And we're going to talk about like five of them, maybe, or, or maybe up to 10 if we're getting frisky. So we're just going to, hi- we're just going to talk about some stuff. We're going to see, we're going to pick each other's brains and we're just, we're just going to theorize, talk about some conspiracy, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so just very, very important. As you listen to this episode, we don't like to talk about price on the show for a reason. We know that we are not qualified to understand all of the machinations behind a price movement, behind why price is, where it is, and when it is. But, that being said, we do understand that this is what people want want to listen to. They This is the kind of content they want us to bring. So we will throw out our opinions here. Very important. We normally put this at the end. But since we're talking about price and we're talking about reasons behind price, we are not financial advisors. We You need to do your own research. All investments have inherent risk. So the end result, though, before we get into whatever we're going to get into today, the price is the result of supply and demand. That, that's that's the end result. They're, they're the, what factors drive supply and demand are what we're going to try and cover, but it is damn near impossible to predict what those factors are. However, it's possible to look at what those factors are in hindsight sometimes. So you can, just like uh, we've said this before, reversion to the mean. Like there's, um, if you're flipping coins and you get 10 heads in a row, you're going to start to think in your head, oh boy, the next one's more likely to be tails. It's not. However, when you flip 10 heads in a row and you flip that coin 10,000 times, you're probably going to see other points when you went to 10 tails in a row. And you're going to be like, there's the reversion to the mean. You can't predict it, but you can observe it in hindsight. So some of these things are we're, we're kind of observing, we're tr- taking our best guesses as to why this stuff might have happened. But we can't predict it. 
We don't know if it's going to continue to go down. We don't know if it's going to go up. If we knew that, we wouldn't be here on a podcast either telling you about it or spend our time doing this. We'd be out there predicting and getting all the money because we know the future. So uh, keep that in mind when you're talking to YouTubers that show you how to do all the price predictions or maybe other podcasts that tell you how to predict the prices. They don't they don't fucking know either. So that's it. I wanted to get that big intro, big disclaimer out of the way. Anything to add, boys? Nope. I think we are clarifying that point. So we're just giving some of the plausible explanations. We'll give our opinions on each one. I do think that for what it's worth, I mean, I don't know if I should lead with this at the beginning, but what you said about regression to the mean actually is for me one of the uh, biggest reasons I think that we are seeing the quote unquote decline in prices, right? Because my guess is, and I think a lot of us felt at the time, once we st- you could start following crypto and, and we saw that there wasn't that much technological development in the space, but the price was going nuts. I mean, projects were just announcing some ideas or concepts. They hadn't even launched something. And then the price was just going up and up and up and up and everybody's getting interested. Um, and not much was happening yet because not enough time had gone by. So if you see the price go up so much without justification, then seeing it go down... To, to me, um, often could be like, all right, maybe we're getting closer to the true price that the technology should be around now. And we're just comparing it to a true price bubble that was just much, mostly hype. So the immediate thoughts that come to mind when we, when you frame it in that sense, when we went through the rise in market cap that the entire space went through during last winter, what I noticed was that there were there were two kinds of people that were enjoying that rush. And I think the easy way to well, there's a couple, obviously, but the two that come to mind that could, you know, help this discussion were the people that took their profits and the people that moved their profits into other projects to, you know, as a form of diversification. And and that's mostly what I did is through last winter, I didn't really take too much off the table. I did fairly well. I don't want to get into the details, but more so I spent a lot more time saying, okay, my allotment of this position has grown from this percentage to a significantly higher percentage that I wanted it to be. I want to lower that. But rather than like taking large gains, I just kept moving it into the next best thing that I wanted. And, you know, that's something that was what I decided to do. Now, what happens then is that I ended up with a lot of small positions as the market started regressing back to the mean. Well, what did I do when I started? Well, now my positions are getting really smaller. My, my percentages are getting all out of whack. Well, you know, the things that I emotionally invested in with, with free money, I ended up selling back for a large loss. And, you know, I, I just think that the, the amount of eyes that were on the space during that, you know, rise, it allowed people to just open doors and avenues that they never experienced in crypto, take a little dip their toes in things, use exchanges to buy coins that they probably never planned on doing anything with, sell them back, etc. And I feel like, you know, there was a point where just like everybody looked at how much they had made over that three month span 
And everybody's just like, well, I guess let's take a little now and take a little now and take. And then, you know, once it hit that, you know, the entire market cap went down 10 percent, then everybody's looking at each other like, well, I better take a little more down. And before you know it, everybody's looking at each other like, well, shit, I don't want to lose any more than I've already lost. Let me take a little more. Let me take a little more out. I really just see it as it was a little bit of a trickle down effect from a lot of really emotional investors like myself at the time. Yeah, I, the emotion definitely plays like a, a de, some point. We can't quantify that, but emotion plays a part in this. But to, uh, and to Kareem's point of the of getting ahead of the technology, like I I feel like there's more good news about the technology itself coming out now than there was then. Uh, back then, it was more the news was ideas or the news was announcements or announcements of announcements. Now we're actually getting, <laughs> we're actually getting main nets. We're actually getting use cases. So the, the hype got ahead of the horse. Like the, it, people got all hyped and got involved and there was not enough use case to keep them there. And really all that was keeping them there was the price going up. And when the price finally chilled, that's a, a if you're, if you don't give a shit about the technology, and the technology seems to be not quite there for mass adoption for what we need it to be. It makes sense as to why people pulled out. Now, I, that is not uh, – again, these none of these are the exact reason this happened. But these are all combined to make what – what they create what we have. Um, another one of the oh, – another one of the key factors that – you know, I don't – I have no idea how to assign which percentage to which, but the ICOs, um, both pumping and dumping the price on accident, probably had a big part of this. So when the ICOs were raising Ethereum, if you wanted to be part of the ICOs, you had to buy Ethereum to send it to them. So therefore, that would, in theory, drive up the demand for each Ethereum, right? Uh, if you were part of the ICOs and you've now created your project and you need to fund your project, you need to pay people, you need to do things, you need to convert it back into fiat money because people really aren't taking it as a form of payment yet, uh, or very few. So they're now selling and creating downward pressure on that price that had the upward pressure to give it to them. And uh, just to put some of these numbers in perspective... There were 875 ICOs in 2017, and they raised around $6.2 billion. I couldn't find the Ethereum number, but the dollar number is it was that. Um, it, so far this year, there's been 1,130 ICOs. So we're, we're talking about uh, almost a 40% increase in the number of ICOs in just so far in the t- uh, 10 months of this year. And uh, they've raised $7.2 billion. So they've raised more money than were raised in the ICOs last year. Um, and although the month of September only raised 169,000, uh, versus, um, a hundred, 1.5 billion, or, or I'm sorry, 169 million, 169,000, that's <laughs> 169 million in September versus 1.5 billion in January. So there's been a huge drop off on, on the money. But so one of the things that jumps out when I see here, I, I definitely think that this plays a role. But I think that maybe the role that it plays is overstated because in many ways, number one, the fact that these ICOs are still raising even more money, um, I think supports the fact when you look at these numbers, $6 billion, $7 billion, well, right now, the cryptocurrency markets have been falling for months and we're still sitting at a collective, let's say, $220 million market cap. Ethereum alone Billion. is... 
20 yeah billion uh, sorry at 23 million for ethereum right 23 billion um so it just seems like it the numbers aren't big enough like even if we take this six billion and we say wow let's say that every single ico in 2017 took all of their money and liquidated it six billion dollars is not that big of a dent in the market it is a little bit for ethereum itself but not for the whole market so yes this plays a role but i think that it's more indicative that there was new money coming into the market and that a lot of money did leave the market there was a lot of sell-offs uh you know that just started going crazy you know, probably a lot of those people, I wouldn't be surprised in a lot of the order that they came in, you know, <laughs> like a lot of the people that came in at like 14K were probably some of the first people that when they saw it go from 20K to 17K are more likely to pull that trigger, you know, than like the person that got Bitcoin at 5K. Yeah. And I I, I get what you're saying about the 6.2 billion being a small percentage of the overall market cap, but it doesn't take that much to move a price. That's you know, true. individuals can move prices on a daily basis. So, uh, so having a total of three three percent of the total market cap of cryptocurrency can definitely move the price. Um, and the fact that Bitcoin's dominance has gone up significantly suggests that a lot of the selling may have been in in altcoins. So there weren't there weren't very many ICOs run with Bitcoin anymore. So. Yeah, but it could also suggest that people flee to Bitcoin for security. From my conversations with traders and and things, they they do one of two things. They they switch to Bitcoin or they switch to Tether. And they and they chill there until they've decided to to go back. And You know, it's it's funny you say that just because I was about to say Bitcoin is almost like the dollar where you see people from all over the world kind of flee to the dollar. And then when you said it's either Bitcoin or Tether, it's like, yeah, because Tether's replicating the dollar. So yeah. it's just interesting. One thought that I had on there that is going to be very different probably in 2019 is if Ethereum switches to Casper and proof of stake, then there's a really interesting incentive model for the ICOs that raise money in Ethereum right, to kind of hang on to it and maybe not spend it unless they need to and then also generate some Ethereum on the side. So, you know, that is a really interesting twist. You know, if these, if these, even if you just raise 320 Ethereum and you have, you know, 10x the normal staking rewards, this is interesting for a big project. Holy crap, Mike, you just made me think of something else. What if we have a new kind of ICO scam that is essentially a fake ICO, which ultimate goal is to just get enough capital that they can stake to make that profit? If you could have enough of a front, right? Like you're like, we're going to do this and then you get all this Ethereum and you just proof of stake it for as long as possible. Yeah, guys, whatever. we haven't dumped our Ethereum. We're holding it. We're, we're yeah, yeah, we're just holding, <laughs> like, I don't know. We need to do round two of funding. <laughs> we need that's, masternode number three. Uh, yeah. But there's also going to be legitimate projects doing it the same way. Like, that's the big problem with this. Like, what right. what I suggested there is a very logical business yeah. solution. It would I be agree. the equivalent of storing your money in a savings account or, you know, investing it responsibly. It's just going to generate some passive income for you in the currency that you built your entire business on. Like, I think that's a really interesting twist. Not just a regular savings account, like a like an old school savings account where you actually got paid interest to do it. Not like you know banks own society and <laughs> you get no money for savings. Right. Yeah, that's a uh, that that's a really good point. Yeah, if if some of these people who raised a ton of Ethereum had a imagine if they'd done these ICOs on Dash, they would have like a 
a very legitimate reason to let it sit there. They would have votes in the network. They would blah, blah, blah. So uh, we don't know how Casper's going to how Casper's going to shape up. We know it's really far off. But when it when it does, if they they have an incentive to hold the Ethereum, it might hurt less. I'm sure it doesn't hurt that the that a lot of these ICOs are just exit scams on their own or they become exit scams when they realize they bit off more than they can chew. But yeah, definitely like that's a large that's a large amount of money that's moving around and doing things and they're not intentionally crashing the market. They don't want to crash Ethereum if they if they're a legitimate project that built their that built their dApp or whatever they were doing on Ethereum. They they don't want it to be bad. So, I'm sure they were careful about it, but they probably couldn't do anything about the the effect as a as a whole. So I was just doing some quick research and uh, the current estimations of the one resource that I found suggests that the Ethereum annual staking rewards would be about 5%. So I'm not as far as like, and that's going to be very close to guaranteed. I mean, it's, it's definitely not guaranteed. It's, you know, I'm sure there's a system where you could run bad, but I think even the run bad over a full year is not going to be that bad. Right. So so if you yeah, if you've if you raised, for instance, two billion dollars for your ICO and you had two billion dollars worth of Ethereum, now you get to make uh, you get to make five percent of that every year. Yeah. You can run a company off that (laughs) or a tiny ICO that only raises 10 million dollars can have a 50K a year salary, which Mm -hmm. a lot of these a lot of these teams need to be able to pay their devs. No, no, no. Oh, agreed. No, Mike, I'm saying it's a it's a great idea for them to hold it. We're just saying that it's like the incentive is good enough that there will be an incentive to even just fake ICO it to, you know, because you could even just 10 million can give you a little salary. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. So uh, and, and again, I don't know what percentage of this, but it really feels like it makes sense to me that this was an accidental side effect which contributed to the overall problem. So when people were seeing the price go down and maybe even the people who are holding the money on the ICOs are like, shit, price is going down. Let me see. Oh, there's not a good resistance until this price. Uh, boss, I think we should sell some of our Ethereum now before it drops even further and then therefore causing a further drop. So because right. they have enough money to, to kind of cause that. Anyway, we've talked about that before on the show. I feel like that is some percentage of it. Right. Here's one that I hadn't thought about that I, while we were doing the research for this, I was like, you know what? You know what? This makes a little bit of sense to me. So this is my favorite, uh, my favorite Trump supporter argument. They will say, but the economy. Um, I don't care what Trump does. The economy's doing great under him. And you know what? They're not wrong. Now, I don't think it's, I, I, my guess is that it is not because of, Trump's policies necessarily cause or correlation. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, correlation is not necessarily causation. We. Kn- I want to. I want to make it clear that the ratio of Trump getting brought up on this show is like ninety percent Brent, ten percent Kareem. Which that's more. I or might less even take the over. Yeah, but continue. We Brent. did an entire episode about Kareem telling us about the Trump administration, which was your idea. No, you ninjaed me into making that uh, idea. Yeah, continue, and continue, continue. You tricked go, me go, go. into putting that out there. It's very important that the listeners understand Kareem's machinations are – they know no bounds. He's hes a genius. What so, is a machination? Like he pulls the puppet strings. So he was like, oh, Brad, I can't come up with anything cool to talk about. Hey, have you seen like the Trump shit? That's right. Anyway, and then like very slowly got me to bring Brent, up the I idea. believe that you believe that. Yeah. No, that's it's what happened. Look at him. Look at his face. You can tell. All right. 
All right, so tell so what's up with these so, like yeah, uh, why do, what does Trump have to do with this yeah, episode, Brent? Bring us back, bring us back. Tie the Trump administration, the Trump argument. Go no, ahead. I, th- it's just one of my it's one of the uh the arguments that's used and they're right. The the US economy, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit an all-time high in January of 2018. What else hit an all-time high in January of 2018? The crypto markets. So they were at least correlated at the time. Both of them started to fall kind of at the same time. So it was there was a, a correlation there, so maybe the original start of the uh, the bear market wasn't specifically because of any of these other things we're talking about. It could just be the overall world economy, U.S. economy, was going downward a little bit, which is fine. Um, but since then, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has again hit the all-time high. So uh, back in September, a couple weeks ago, they hit their all-time high again. So... There could very easily be people who have decided either through diverse for diversification methods or just because that they um, they weren't really all into crypto in the first place. They grabbed their money and got out that they've switched back to traditional markets, to legacy markets. They've invested in the in their stock market of either their country or here we're talking about specifically the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which for those that are outside of the U.S., the Dow Jones Industrial Average is the top 30 companies in the U.S. Uh, is an index that keeps track of those. So that's all it really is. But those top 30 companies are very, very big compared to the rest of the of the portfolio. I don't think it's actually a good indicator because it's only 30 companies. But it's what everybody uses as an indicator. So you kind of have to use it. Um, it I mean, it sucks. Like it, The other ones are better. Like The, the NASDAQ is probably the best indicator because it's got 2,000 companies. Uh, the S&P has 500. But... Here we are talking about only 30, but... So this is another example where I wonder, again, I'm in the same boat as you where we don't really know the answer. But my first impression on something like this is, yes, of course, there's going to be people that have gone from crypto to the stock market. There's going to be people that have gone from stock market to crypto. I don't know the exact relation, but I don't think that the recent uh, explosions in the stock market are really like significantly attributed to capital fleeing the cryptocurrency markets because no. I think it's for we know for example right but I'm saying like we know that there are bigger factors that are driving up the price like the uh, tax cuts that just happened means that most companies like big companies engaged in really really big stock buyback so that's going to boost the price uh, of the shares and I I feel like something like that would play a bigger role it's going to count for much more than like um i don't think that the crypto market had any effect at all on the rising of the of the legacy markets of the dow Jones industrial average or anything like that i think that the the conditions that are creating the rise in the legacy markets are probably creating more attractive market yes making it more attractive than cryptocurrency for instance mike uh has put money into legacy stocks um, you know, he, uh, my response to this topic was going to be getting into crypto and learning crypto enticed me to learn the traditional stock world and diversify myself because that's the most responsible thing to do. I've learned a tremendous amount, uh, where I basically knew close to zero in 2017. And now I can like function and like, tr- you know, actually access stocks, trade them ETFs. You know, I've learned a lot about those things and, 
you know, maybe maybe there's a group that's like me that didn't trust the traditional world. And, you know, we've discussed the pros and cons of something like Robin Hood. But to somebody like me, Robin Hood's exactly what I want. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Robin Hood is great for like the millennial investor. They are you can you can put a hundred dollars on there and not get hit with like a fifteen dollar fee for trading uh, and a ten dollar fee every month for your account not having a minimum balance and all this stuff. They're very good for somebody who who wants to get their feet wet in in traditional markets and also crypto if you happen to be one of the jurisdictions that's approved for crypto on on Robinhood. Um, and Brent, I think it's going to be just a matter of time before that influences the rest of the market. Like sooner or later, things like Robinhood are going to bring down the fees that a lot of these legacy places charge. They can still get away with it because um, I feel like maybe generations in their 40s, 50s, 60s are more used to dealing with that and they'll just go. Well, they're uh, just to listening that. to their financial advisors. So, one of my, right. we're not financial advisors, but one of my biggest problems with financial advisors is they are incentivized to sell you shit investments. So, they, a lot of people go to a financial advisor because they believe they have their best interest at heart and they believe that they're going to do what's best for them. Now, Going to a financial advisor and having them control your money is way better than not doing it. It's the same thing as like we, you know, we, when we talk about how you shouldn't keep your money on exchanges. Well, eh, actually, sometimes some people probably should keep their money on exchanges because they're not going to go through and learn all the things that you need to do to protect yourself by taking your money off of an exchange. The same thing is true in this situation. Like if you're not going to learn how to purchase your own index funds, then whatever, just give your money to a financial advisor and let them get their money off of you. But the like cuz the the difference here is financial advisors in the United States for the most part the ones that work on commission now are, there are apparently some fee based financial advisors that are popping up and and that makes a little bit more sense to me but they are getting the biggest commissions on uh mutual funds which mutual funds are a- actively managed funds which take a percentage of the of the fund's profit off of the table and historically they're about 2% less than the equivalent index funds or exchange traded funds that are they charge more fees yeah. and therefore perform worse and and that. there's no evidence that really there's any significant difference between an actively managed fund and just letting it sit there and accrue with the rest of the stock market so the the financial advisors that are selling you on this next big mutual fund or 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 getting their commission for this they're just taking a lot of money off the table that doesn't need to be taken and you could yeah, just do it but, yourself but, I'm saying like in a bigger perspective, like if we look back and just think generationally, right? I think that the people who are taking those fees for granted as part of the of that dynamic tend to be in an older generation. Yes. And that even people who maybe aren't investing right now, but as they become older, let's say people who are in their 20s and 30s enter their 40s and 50s, a lot of their friends, peers, family are already going to be used low fee investment vehicles. Right. So and and they, have done their own research and just say, look, just it takes 10 minutes to look at this stuff. Just look at this stuff. Exactly. It's going to make make it tougher for these companies to keep getting clients if they don't adapt. So I see something like Robinhood yeah. permanently changing the market eventually. Yep. And also uh like your base one research, if you are in previous generations, is like you go to your friend that you think is the best with money and you're like, what do you do with your money? Like, how do you like make some money? They're like, I gave it to my financial advisor. Here's my guy. Whereas they might go to you and be like, oh, no, I listen to that. Not us, but like this podcast on traditional investing. And what they're saying is put your money in index funds. Here's how you do it. And they, you know, they're they're a little bit it's a little bit different how 
you go about managing your money. So yeah, I I totally agree with you that Robinhood and the like will probably change the face of uh, of investing in the future, but not now because this generation doesn't have anywhere near the money or or uh, investment prowess that or power power not prowess <laughs> that uh, that somebody like Warren Buffett does or or that or that generation. Yeah, my own personal like kind of story here is that it was very intimidating for me to even like comprehend it. So my thoughts through most of my 20s were, okay, there's to be like a bottom level dweller in this field, I would need a degree just to get on. I would need at least a four year degree, probably a six year degree to even get involved with these companies in the financial world. And then I I would need to be involved for many, many years to learn all the products, learn all the companies, do this, do that. And then I would understand, I, I would be able to have enough knowledge to play the game of the stock world. But what I realized, it's really not that hard. And there's a lot of basic info out there. And like a lot of things, like I get really intimidated by learning something completely new. And I feel like that frustrates Brent more than any human I know. But I get overwhelmed completely diving into something brand new. So when I get my handheld or I get shown, hey, Mike, this is what you're actually looking for. It's not that difficult. Here's what you really need. This is what matters. Then I'm like, oh, man, this was so easy. Now I want to tell everybody about it. Now I'm at the point where I'm just like, man, I wish everybody knew how easy this was. I feel like I I could help so many people by sharing how easy this really was. Yeah. And Mike, I think that that experience applies to a lot of fields where I feel like I've experienced that with most things, with a very limited amount of research, with just a few hours of your time, you can learn a lot of the basic, basic stuff that gives you an edge, like an 80% edge, right? So like learning about, oh, let me invest in low-fee vehicles like index funds. I don't have to be a stock genius that's going to pick every single company. You learn about what's responsible. Maybe you learn about 401ks and IRAs and, you know, whatever. And then it becomes like, it can take an entire lifetime to go from the 80% knowledge to the 100% knowledge to mastering a field that takes a lifetime but to to just learn okay of all the people that have studied this for their entire lifetimes there's like a compiled wisdom for all of these fields and you can extract that in a very short amount of time if you take the time to go look it up and it could have really good effects in your life that applies to fitness dieting games investment career self-help uh self-discipline anything like that relationships friendships business like everything you can learn so much by just investing a little bit of time into researching that endeavor yeah i'm that's like the story of my life (laughs) i do that with all kinds of different little fields i learn all the little parts and then i just like quit and i don't get good at them so (laughs) it's it's uh there's definitely a lot of that anyway there may be more that we had to say about that but the point the point we're making even though we're talking about a lot of legacy world is like you're not going to find three people more bullish on cryptocurrency than us and and all of us have some investment in legacy markets. So and and even Mike, what he just decided to put money into the legacy markets, even though crypto is down. He's like, no, I need to diversify here. I'm going to do this. So um, that's a microcosm of possibly the rest of the world thinking. All right, let's diversify a little bit. Let's uh, take some of this money off the table with crypto. So again, not a not not the primary factor. Not a. Not a guaranteed factor, but a part. And I, I saw I saw Mike writing. I don't know if he had more to say about. I was 
I was actually taking some quick notes. <laughs> I and really hope I, it's like a drawing. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's like a penis. <laughs> show us, Mike. Show us. It, it, the people want to see. Brent looking like a gorilla. No, <laughs> it's, uh, no. I actually, I was taking some notes on random things that I've learned this year that have nothing to do with each other that like are just similar concepts to you know, learning the traditional investing world. And then I ended up, it wasn't that good of a list for the flow of the conversation. But oh. since it has been brought up, I'm just going to run through the couple things that I took note of. One, I'm currently um, digging into learning like streaming computer games from mobile devices. And uh, that one I'm still working on, but that I've come a long ways. Uh, I've done it so much work on fitness, nutrition, dieting, exercise. Like uh, my knowledge of that is probably getting close to the 80% range and I may never be to hundred, but I'm getting, I'm so much further aware than I was even a year ago. Obviously, crypto is the most obvious one. Um, you know, I definitely was involved this time last year, but you know, a year and three quarters ago, I barely knew that anything other than Bitcoin. And that's, this is, you know, come full circle completely. Uh, just general audio and video stuff. I'm, I'm looking at all these. I have a green screen now. I have lights in front of me. Um, totally something I didn't even expect to be learning about and understanding. And then last but not least, a lot of like hiking and camping stuff it was very overwhelming for me, but I'm quickly learning. It's really not that big a deal. It's pretty easy and it's very rewarding. So just yeah. a really wide variety of totally random things that I've gotten interested in that I've dove into and you know, made part of my life because I wanted to. Yeah, th yeah. This podcast for a good example. I mean, none of us knew a damn thing about it. We did some, we did some research and here we are. We learned audio editing. We learned all kinds of different things. <laughs> I still don't know a ton about this part of it, but <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> no, but it is, it is a beautiful, and this is the beautiful thing about living in the information age, especially if you have respect for expertise, because like you said, Mike, you know, when it comes to health or almost any field, unless you're really going to devote yourself to it, you're never going to become an expert. And the other side of that coin to me is have tremendous respect and appreciation for expertise and you can learn so much from it, whether like, even if, like you said, camping or whatever, yes, we don't have to devote our life to learning about nutrition because there are thousands of scientists around the world, hundreds of thousands that have put in lifetimes, research papers, and we can get a lot of that information uh, just with like cursory research. That's so cool that we can gain so much knowledge uh, so easily. And it really does, I feel like, help in life to learn new skills and to, to learn about what you're dealing with. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to add there is that, you know, when you meet somebody that you want to learn from, I look at this, I, I like to meet a lot of mentors in different fields. And if there's any sort of way that I can become a mentor for them, then I think the best case scenario that's a win-win for everybody is that I can trade my expertise for your expertise. And, you know, a classic example of this is uh, my personal trainer who I've become very good friends with. And, you know, we really balance each other out. We help each other out. And it's just like, it becomes a mutually beneficial, you know, friendship. And I see that happening in other parts of my life. And I see it happening in the future, even greater. You know, I'm now a lot of my friends, crypto guy, and that has value to some people. It doesn't to others, but you know, over time you, I, I want to build a balanced personality portfolio and the more useful you can be to others, the, the easier I think your life can be. Also, uh, this is a so you just talked about other friends being the crypto guy. I had a random anecdote with uh, with a friend of mine that I I know was involved in the legacy financial market. I won't say how or why, but I said I was like, hey, 
you want to come on the show? Like, we'll, I'll t- you can argue. I know he doesn't like particularly believe in crypto, like crypto, anything. I'm like, you can argue with me about the crypto. You can tell me about what you do. And his response was like, I can't do it because I can't be associated with crypto. Um, my, the financial world that I live in, if I have any association with it, uh, that would be bad for my business. So I, that's just happens to be one person I know anecdotally, but that may be something that exists out there. And it may be, it may be now that there's been a a bubble on crypto that it's more ingrained in certain companies and certain legacy financial institutions to say, look, guys, you can't say you can't say anything good about crypto. Like, don't talk about like whatever. They could be very pull, pulling the clamp down on that. So that also may mean those that they advise. Whereas before they might say, I don't know, maybe crypto is something interesting to look into. I don't know about it, but check it out. Now they're like, no, don't definitely don't look into it. It's very bad or whatever. So non-zero effect. I shared the story on the podcast, and this was probably really early on when we started. But I have a good friend that works that works for Bank of America corporate and. Uh, they were told um, if they owned crypto that their job could be at risk. And like that to me was just like unbelievable. Yeah, this is this isn't like a teller or like a random, you know, low level employee. This is like a corporate employee that has, you know, corporate accounts that does like really large end business for this company. And like I I, I remember seeing the memo and just being Florn. Florn? <laughs> Floored was what Florn. I was trying to say. I don't know what I combined Whoa, it with. What did I, that was worse than a Kareem English mix-up. You make mix-up Kareem's that. English mix-up for the episode on your own. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, so to, to transition into that, the, the final kind of piece of this puzzle that I grabbed. Now, again, this is not the final piece of the puzzle. There's lots of pieces of this puzzle. The final piece of this puzzle that I grabbed is crypto isn't cool right now. Like, it it, it was cool. I, there wasn't a day that went by that one of my friends on Facebook didn't message me, be like, "Hey, what coin should I invest in now? What what uh, what, what about what do you think about this coin? What are you doing?" It's doesn't happen anymore. Um, another another com- this is again completely anecdotal evidence, so it's not really evidence, but just a little story. Again, it, I asked um, Adam Ruthless if he wanted to come on the show and just bullshit about some crypto the other day, and uh, and he said, "Listen, I'm I'm so disconnected." from cryptocurrency right now i wouldn't even know what to talk about this is the guy that when i lived with him was begging me to put all of my money into ethereum at like 20 dollars a coin or like 13 dollars a coin or something like the way to not listen to him bro yeah. uh like this is you know between him and kareem these are the people that convinced me to give a shit about cryptocurrency and he just told me i don't care man i'm not really into it so um that is we we've discussed privately there's a couple possible reasons for that that may not fit sure. the narrative well, you're creating here well, no no but it, it i don't want to go into details i on have it, but more evidence well, on well, Brent, i yeah go with the extra evidence let's not make yeah. this anecdotal now, i go thought anecdotal was picture. fine there is anecdotal but we do have actual i have actual evidence that this that this exists but uh yeah adam's an interesting person so there may have been there there Listen, okay, as a general okay. rule, anecdotal evidence on the Crypto Basic podcast is considered D plus evidence. Sure, but it can so, be entertaining. Correct. That's why All it's right. a D plus and not an F. I will support your argument, Brent, and, and here's how I'm going to support it. I've had a tremendous amount of trouble coming up with topics to discuss. I've had a tremendous amount of trouble getting motivated to say, okay, if I'm one of, if I'm somebody that wants to learn another thing about crypto, what's the next step? Like I'm, I'm running out of ideas on how to 
you know, keep making this great. And that's, that's no disrespect to this podcast. It's no disrespect to you, but I'm having trouble seeing what the people want. And that's why I've been a little more active in the discord saying like, Hey guys, what do you think? Or what's going on? Or what are your thoughts on this? And, and in a way, it's not that the bear market has me down. Like I, I've gone through some poker swings. I'm not proud of, but the idea is it, it isn't exciting right now. There's not a lot going on. It's just kind of, we had way too much news for a while and a lot of it was good. A lot of it was bad. And right now I think we're just kind of going through the motions. Um, one of the things we haven't touched on was during that meteoric rise last winter, a lot of that was brought on to speculators and that's fine and dandy. But another thing that it also had to bring attention to would be developers, would be people like us that, you know, we were looking for a way to get involved. And this, if this podcast becomes very successful in the crypto space, it's because of that time frame that happened. So I'm thinking other people, we had this question on our flagship recently, like, how do I get involved in a way, you know, if I don't, if I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder. There's a lot of people like that that are figuring out how they're going to get involved. And I think that there's going to be a lot of long-term development, but I don't see any way that we just don't reach substantial milestones eventually. Yeah, and look, for what it's worth, it, this is a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem. So I'm definitely not going to claim that one is correct and one is wrong because, again, multifactorial will never really know. But I don't really agree necessarily that there used to be like so many news and then now like things have dried up. I actually think that in many ways we see uh, a rapid pace of development for this space, which makes me think that really the hype around a lot of the news and in the announcements, it was the price wagging detail. You know what I'm saying? The price was leading. So the more that the price changed and the more that the price became insanity and the more that people, because at the end of the day, it really wasn't about crypto. It was about getting rich, which is the ultimate dream of almost every single person on this planet. So it was, I think that it felt like more news and it felt like more activity because it was about you know, getting rich for so like so much and it happens so quickly and it's a spark. And I think that we're going to see another gradual, uh, slow, steady growth. I mean, Brent, I'm actually going to transition to you because you, you, you put some Google trends on here, which I think are very relevant. I was looking at them. I think they're very interesting. So I'll let you talk about them first, but I think that this pattern has, from what I saw on what you posted, this pattern has happened before. Right. So I was looking for a way to quantify what I was thinking about crypto not being cool. I was like, look, crypto's not cool. Like the things that were making me feel like people thought it was cool aren't happening. So how do I quantify that? How do I find some actual data to back up what I'm thinking or refute what I'm thinking? Again, you can't you can't be looking for the answer. You have to be looking or you have to be looking for the answer, not your answer. So what I did was I checked on Google Trends and I just decided to look at some Google Trends that I thought would have been correlated with crypto being cool, which is if you are learning about crypto by like going to work and somebody being like, oh, man, I just invested in Ripple. It's amazing. Like whatever. So you're like, OK, uh, how do you buy Bitcoin? How to buy Bitcoin? Um, or so I looked up the I looked up how to buy Bitcoin. I looked up Bitcoin itself. I looked up um, uh, I looked up Ethereum. I looked up uh, what is Bitcoin? what, what is up? Bitcoin? I looked up a lot of different trends, and they all followed the same pattern, which w looked almost exactly like the market pattern. There was a massive spike during the same massive spike in the market, 
and there was a massive drop-off during the same massive drop-off in the market. So the trends of the things that you would expect that kind of correlate with hype, with coolness, were directly correlated with the market. One that wasn't that I thought was kind of interesting was decentralization. The the interest in decentralization has been the same basically for a long time. So no spike, no steady increase. No, it's been up it, up and down, up and down, up and down, but for the most part it's not there's no significant change in either direction. So interest in decentralization is about the same. Wow, it's actually Maybe it's just the way they were looking it up, but I would actually even argue that it's gone down if you look at. Oh yeah, if you look at like the the ten year mark or whatever, yeah, you can see that, that it was. That is insane to me that we are. Oh my god, that is shocking news to me. I'm not even gonna lie and pretend. Like, if you would ask me, was decentralization more Google today than ten years ago? I mean, it's subtle. It's a subtle decline, but wow. I, I would have assumed over a 10-year span at least a 50% increase. Another interesting piece of that is the uh, the subregion where decentralization is searched the most is District of Columbia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. So um, uh, District of Columbia being the capital of the United States where all of the like political stuff is takes place so it's it, it, i don't know if w- what hence, that hence my good luck yeah i don't know what that signals exactly whether there's people that hear the term in washington and they're like hold on a minute what does that mean and then they google it or but yeah it definitely uh something and the reason i looked for decentralization is because decentralization is the core concept of cryptocurrency that doesn't have anything to do with how cool it is. That doesn't have anything to do with the hype. Well, you don't learn a, about... It's a core concept. It's a core concept. You know, some some people care more about privacy or an anonymity or security. Sure, but Bitcoin was created because of decentralization, which spawned the rest of what we have here. So the other coins care about other things, but Bitcoin's core concept was peer-to-peer decentralized currency. So decentralization, um, I didn't search for peer-to-peer, but... I, I felt like decentralization was enough of a foil to how do I buy Bitcoin or what is the price of Bitcoin or, or Ethereum, et cetera, that uh, it would show the difference between coolness, hype, and the technology and the um, and stuff like that. So, uh, so decentralization has been fairly steady, but the hype behind the, the coins has not. The, the coolness has been very, 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 very correlated with the market almost exactly. And Brent, the last thing I'll say is when I was looking at these, just to further confirm the, you know, how it matches the market, uh, you linked to the 12 month window uh, of for the search term, like what is Bitcoin? And the other one was um, like something about Bitcoin, but they were similar. And when I looked back to the beginning, there was another spike in 2013. And I went to go look at that spike. I was like, okay, now then I open up CoinMarketCap just to go look at the price for that sp- specific period. And it matched the spike perfectly. It was when Bitcoin went from 100 to 1,000. Then you see a very like sharp drop and then a gradual dribble that continues to go down and down and down and then a plateau for a long period of time. In interest and price, it was almost identical with the next huge spike being what we just saw. So... It's almost like an exact pattern, but just on a much bigger scale. Right. So I don't know that like you can say that that's the number one factor or any of the other things that we've talked about are a number one factor, but this is one of the few things that we could quantify with data. And 
it seems to be super correlated. Now, I don't know which one's causing which. So, uh, again, the, the, the term people throw around all the time in uh, statistics is correlation is not causation. So we don't know if the Google trends come first or if the market comes first. But there is clearly a correlation here. So the thought of it's not that cool right now appears to be validated. Um, but at the same time, uh, the the thought of like you know decentral decentralization is something some people still care about is there. I just realized one that I didn't look up was blockchain, so I'm going to see if that is uh, blockchain wow. is uh, similar but not as clear. So uh, so if you look at blockchain for say the past five years, there is definitely a spike when there is the massive bear market. But the spike is not as defined as the other terms. What is Bitcoin? What is, uh, you know, what is, um, and, and it goes, and it shoots right back up, actually. It goes, it drops in, uh, in December, uh, which is, it drops way down in December and then shoots right back up in January. Um, and then, and then goes back down and kind of tapers off. So, huh. On the other hand, the word potato has been gradually increasing in search with spikes. Around November as well. I was, cu- I was curious, is there a total searches for that region? Is there like a... Idaho is the top potato searcher. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had another topic if you guys uh, wanted to branch off to one other... All right, we'll, we'll indulge it. We'll allow it. We'll, we'll allow it. Uh, something else I wanted to touch on, like earlier we were discussing some of the different types of things I've learned. I've taken the time to make, you know, a priority, do some research on or do some basic level and, and try to get comfortable with, you know, what's going on. I think it's really important to obviously do the same thing with each of your crypto investments. And what I noticed over time was after that preliminary research, you can't just really quit. You actually have to pretty much like, you don't have to stay fully involved, but in a lot of projects, you have to keep a pulse on the project just to be familiar with what's going on. For example, if you have a proof of stake coin, you may need to update the wallet every now and then to make sure your rewards are online. Um, you know, there's just a lot of little things that could happen. And if you're not keeping up to date with your project, you, you know, you may need to know when wallets are going to maintenance or, or this, that and the other. I think it's, it's, Becoming true that people are all the roadblocks of little tasks are losing people along the way. And I forget what this called in marketing. And Brent, um, you're, I think you've discussed this with me. Like there's, let's just say we did a, a poll for our listeners and the more times that they have to click through stuff, yeah, the, the less lower chance they is, are yeah. of finishing it. Is that like, what is that? I concept? don't know what it's called. Uh, it, there is definitely a, there's a concept for that. So every little thing you ask somebody to do from start of something to the end of something reduces the amount of conversion you get of people that go to the end. So if you have to click here versus have the, to fill out, click here to fill out a form versus have the form pop up in your face and give you the option to fill it out right there. You're more likely to fill it out if you don't have to click first. You're also more likely to fill it out if it has less information. You're uh, you're also more likely to go through a registration process if you don't have to um, you know confirm your email. There are a lot of that once it's sent. Oh, confirm your email, and you're good Super to go. Super subtle. Yeah, all yeah. these little Remember things the, lose people. 
the there was a big thing in Europe where they couldn't figure out why some countries had like six percent donating organs uh, if they die, and another yeah. country had like ninety five percent. They spent millions on education, and it turns out all that they had to do is switch nope. away. You had to opt out switch or the opt wording. In. Yeah, like if you just like have to check the box to opt out, then people just didn't check the box either yeah. way. It did. It literally, we're, we have that problem in the United States. We are, you have to opt in to organ donating. And if we switched it to opting out, uh, we would have a much higher organ donation. And I, my Apple device does it for me. <laughs> and we're going to have an, we're going to have an organ donation problem here soon. So once, uh, once hmm. electric vehicles start to become ubiquitous, we're going to have a much lower organ donor rate. Or, or organ organ availability from organ donors because less people are going to die in car accidents when which will be matched by an improvement in technology towards synthetic organs technology solves almost all problems yeah well in the meantime we should switch to an opt-out system rather than an opt-in system so we have more organs uh, i still agree with that maybe I agree with that. um but but part of what i was saying there is and we've discussed the the custody issue the fact that even if you can get past the idea of buying the coins, you can get to the exchange, you could trade into it. Moving coins off an exchange ends up being a fairly tedious process. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. You know, I'm not saying I got lost along the way, but I just, you know, it got to a point where it was a lot of work. It was homework keeping up with making sure that certain things were working properly. And the, the learning of things like the ledger wallet and downloading all the programs and making sure everything works. And also you're dealing with sums of money. So oftentimes it's easy for people to put this off rather than do it incorrectly or rush it. And, and, you know, I've seen that with myself. So I wonder if because the custody issue is so complicated that this is part of why the ETFs are very exciting to a lot of people and maybe have been less exciting to us to this point. So, you know, maybe that is part of why this would be great for us. No, it's for sure. There's fatigue on all the little things that you have to do to make sure what you have is safe. There's each time you find out about a new thing, like, oh, I bought Neo, so I should get gas. Oh, wait, I have to have Neo off of this exchange so that I can even get the gas. What do I got to do to get the gas? I got to click a button to get the gas. Why do I have to click the button? Why can't I just get it? You know, like there's all these little things that will happen over the course of your cryptocurrency uh, journey that will pro that can cause fatigue and be like, God damn it. I, all right. Uh, I just don't want I'll just I'll just put in Bitcoin. Uh, whatever. I mean, uh, honestly, Brent, I know you use 2FA for everything. How often do you see a part where you have to use 2FA and you're just like, fuck it, I'll do it later? Oh, uh, I'm I'm past that. There was a period where I did that. But I use 2FA for so many things now that I just consider, you know, I, I get annoyed when like I have to put in my master password for uh for like my for my password managers and i get a little annoyed i'm like all right let me go do this but i do it i mean there's no there's no time where i didn't log into something because i had to like pull up the 2fa on my phone now but there may have been in the past that i'm not remembering when it was newer to me but i mean i've been doing 2fa for a while but that was an example of, of one of the little tasks to me that I would run in. And depending on how important the task is, it might not be a relevant task at all. It might just be something I, I want to check off, you know, at some point in the next couple of days. But it would add to my procrastination level because it yeah, was this oh little yeah. tiny roadblock. There's a lot of things that cause procrastination for me. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I, the point you're making is valid. It just didn't really apply to, um, two factor authentication. But like, yeah, let's yeah, say yeah. I had but, to like, uh, like, I'm trying to think of like a wallet that like one of the wallets that you have to actually like leave it there and let it download the entire chain that I will put the fuck mm -hmm. off forever. So 
you know, if especially if I want to like go to a coffee shop and work or something. Yeah. And with that being said, I would say the three of us are very educated on how these processes work and the easy way to do it. So that's, that's the interesting thing that I see is I even run into this problem. Somebody that is significantly less technical than me that may not have anybody that they could ask the questions to or about, you know, those types of people I think are, are probably the spec, the speculators that are, you know, leaving the markets recently. Mm. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but they already went through the major hoop, which is buying it. You know. Yeah, but they also yeah. bought it on like Coinbase or wherever, and and it was and didn't. Go yeah, past. but then they don't have a custody issue. But maybe enough people told them that they can't keep. I don't know. That I have no idea. That's pro. There's probably a non, non-zero it's, effect. I'm saying that these are major changes in capital. Well, you know what? Actually, I will go back to one thing that Brent said during this episode, which was very true, and that is that. You don't. It doesn't actually reflect the true amount of capital that fled the market. Like seven billion, I was incorrect when I pointed out how seven billion isn't really that much compared to the market cap because we've seen before from that awesome Reddit post that you shared in the past. Remember how even small amounts of a coin can really change the price because market cap really just reflects the last sale right. price. So, um, yeah, it's really tough to 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 decipher what is causing a change like this. Anything else we want to add? I think that's All right, it. So that was our "Why is cryptocurrency going down?" episode, and, and and that's the you know the that's the best we could do. And again, we we couldn't we can't pinpoint that, but there are certain things that are interesting to look at. And the only real evidence that we put forward was Google Trends. So keep that in mind. The rest of that was damn near anecdotal. So um, please check out our other episodes. We have a lot of roundtable episodes. Some of them are not crypto related. Some of them are. Uh, most of them are. Some of them are <laughs> very loosely, if anything, related to crypto. Just look at the titles of them, see if they're interesting. We've got one-on-one episodes coming out all the time, and we've got our flagship Fridays. And you could also, if you want to join us for like kind of a live thing, we do a live thing on Discord for uh, the R Cryptocurrency subreddit on um, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please subscribe, leave us a rating, do all that cool stuff. Our listeners have approximately followed with the market too so we we would love the we would love the help and support keep us uh keep us creating these projects so that's it that's been it's been michael Lockie, it's been kareem baruke and it's been brent philbin we're not financial advisors we've said a million times on this episode but we'll say it one more time 